uh, this Tumblr post in the title quote, I'm looking for a good, strong rim. <laughs> Aren't we all? Welcome to Can't Let It Go. It's a deep dive into the things stuck in our heads. I am Matt Horton. I use he, him pronouns. I'm AC. I use they, them pronouns. And uh, today, AC is going to share with me a bunch of thoughts about the great pottery throwdown. So many thinky thoughts. (laughs) I know zero about this show. Yeah. But first, we're going to start with a new thing that we did last week, which AC, when you introduced this to me... The idea was originally like, we could just talk about a tweet that we saw, and I am already breaking that formula. Perfect. Um, if, if we're here to talk about the things stuck in our heads, um, and this is like, I was calling it to you earlier, like a little nugget of one of those things, then the thing that's been stuck in my head is not a, it's not a tweet, it's not an online post, it is a video game. Um, I, something you should know is that I don't replay video games really ever. Okay, same. Well, okay, with one exception, but yes, same. Yeah, I mean, there's games that are, like, forever, right? Like, I've played a crap ton of Hades, and that game does have a narrative end, but, like, it is meant to be played over and over again, right? It's not the style of game that has, like, a beginning and an end, and then it's done. Yeah. But so far, there's been, like, two exceptions to that. The first one was Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is the first Fire Emblem game on Switch. Like, I know what that is. It, they are a um, turn-based tactics games. Um, Fire Emblem Three Houses is also very na- narrative-heavy um, and kind of dating simmy. Um, it, you know, similar to like Persona, if you've ever heard of Persona. Yes. Just a very different vibe, much more fantasy than like you know urban fantasy. Okay. The other game that I have been replaying a ton is Marvel's Midnight Suns. Uh, did you watch my uh, like game of the year video last year? By I chance? did. Yes, of course. I did. Okay. So I talked about this game in that video. I was not, I don't think even like halfway through the game at the time, but it is actually a narrative tactics game. Oh, interesting. It's a bunch of Marvel characters that like some ones that, you know, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Dr. Strange, but also some other ones that are like lesser known, like, the Robbie Reyes ghostwriter, uh, Nico Minoru, who's from Runaways, if you've seen Runaways. It's got uh, Magic, who is, I would say, is a lesser known X-Men like person, sure. but like it, she's been around for, for fucking ever, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know the Robbie Reyes ghostwriter. I watched... Uh, <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents yeah, of exactly. Shield. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it it is doing it's kind of taking the fire room three houses formula and like just mapping that onto Marvel characters. It's, it's made by this team that makes this game called XCOM, which is another tactics game. That's a little less narrative focused. Um, but I have found myself going back to this constantly. Like there, I, I think I, it's because I started playing it almost right after I finished it. And felt at first like oh this is kind of empty it's not really what i'm looking for and then the next day i was like 
oh no, I have to keep playing this game. <laughs> and I'm not like, like I rarely even revisit things. Like yeah. whenever like DLC comes out, like I don't go back, I don't go back to these things. And I don't yeah. know what it is. I've been like thinking about it for days. What is it about this game that is pulling me back into it? Um, I don't, I don't really have an answer. Right. Sure. <laughs> like sure. other than like, the, I mean, the writing is good. The gameplay is good, but like, that's true of a lot of other games that I enjoy that I don't go yeah. back and revisit. Does it change when you play it? Like, like, does making different choices in the game re- lead to like different outcomes or scenes? Sort of, kind of, not really. Okay. Um, I would say no more than yes. But also, like, it just has it has this kind of like cycle of a day where you are during the daytime you kind of run around this sort of central world. Um, if if you've played a Mass Effect game, that would be like. You know, the Normandy in Fire Emblem Three Houses, it's a, you know, magical school. Mm-hmm. And in this game, it's a the Abbey, which is like a pocket dimension that is incredible. Basically, this old Abbey that they're all living in and, and working out of. And uh, you run around and, and do stuff there. And then you go to a mission where you do your fight, you do your turn based tactics combat. And then you come back at night and you hang out with one of the heroes there. Like literally you can join a hangout and it's like deep conversation, fishing, meditation, like (laughs) have a drink, you know, (laughs) it's not a dating sim in the way that like you can actually fuck the superheroes. Right. right? Cause Marvel like wouldn't let that happen. Right. But I don't know. You're like building friendship levels with them and stuff. And I just find that cycle so compelling. Yeah, there's it's no individual piece of that is the thing that's drawing me back. But like going through a day, I can just sit down and like go through a day and then I'm I'm like, good. Um, it's just it's like a nice it's a nice little nugget. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think that that is actually you don't even know it, but like a great segue to what we're going to be talking about today. OK. Which is. I mean, yes, the Great Pottery Throwdown, but this larger phenomenon of like these competition shows that are really like soft and fluffy and like a safe place to land is I think the way a lot of people talk about them. Um, And it sounds like right now for you, Marble Sons is your safe place to live. I hadn't really thought about it, but it does it does have similar vibes in the way that I'm treating it as to like, I don't know, watching reruns of, you know, whatever show. Yeah. Yeah. When we talked about this show, I said watching weekend reruns of Bones and it's like got similar vibes for me. Yeah, I'm still rewatching Bones. Um, I've gotten to the part <laughs> where it's wow, uh, damn near unwatchable, but I am watching it. I am Those watching- last few seasons. <laughs> I definitely dropped out. <laughs> um, yeah, more. We're now in the part of my rewatch where I um, recall what happens in the episodes much less. It's much more likely that I'm watching an episode and I'm like, have I seen this? before and I, i'm not sure yeah um, who was so. who was the the like one like one of the mains that like turned out to be on the bad guy's side or something oh zach yeah zach but yeah after that, that i was actually, like you know what that's really early i know it's like season two or three <laughs> yeah. and i was like i was like i'm starting to emotionally check out of this show yeah yeah um remarkably you know that that show has more than 10 seasons i thought it was like seven yeah, no, it's, I think, 14 season. Yikes. Anyway, we're, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, today, we're going to talk about the Great Pottery Throwdown. I don't know, British reality competition shows versus American reality competition shows. 
kind of really I just want to talk about the show because it is a show that for me like what I can't let go of are all of the different ways that I see these kinds of shows or this kind of theme popping up and like what people reach for as their comfort show Mm. and then like I just always like I like British TV and I'm very fascinated by the ways that British TV is so fundamentally different from American TV for two cultures that share like a large have a large amount of what we would call maybe like cultural compatibility, right? Speaking generally the same language, generally similar structures and systems, generally similar ideas of like family and community and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, So I do feel a need to start here with a a, a small disclaimer because I, as I was doing my own research for this episode, um, stumbled across the fact that there is like actually not an absence of a lot of academic writing about the differences between British culture and American culture and British TV and American TV. And um, interestingly, a lot of it is actually, um, nope, pretty dated. Um, so like the last thing that I found that was an academic piece was like 2011, which is pre my own obsession and like pre what I think about like the British invasion of TV of our era of like that culture swapping. Um, but seems like maybe it's been going on a lot longer than I thought. So, um, I'm not an expert. I'm just here to talk shit. And <laughs> I feel like we need to put that in the intro of the show at this point, because the X-Men episode is full of me being like, I don't really know. I've only gotten into right. it recently. <laughs> like, I just, I'm when- not an expert. <laughs> I'm just here to talk shit. And like, yeah. that's what you should know about me and Matt. <laughs> um, so let's start. I think the a great place to start is like definitions. Um, right. Matt, when you hear the word reality show do you think of reality shows as different from like competition shows and game shows how do you categorize those things in your mind um game show to me is a different thing right competition show to me is like a subset of reality show okay i will say when reality show comes to mind i think survivor immediately incredible (laughs) so you're already on the reality show competition track yeah yeah exactly yeah god we should do an episode about survivor where you talk to me oh i could talk to you all all about <laughs> uh blood and water okay. oh my god okay, okay. yes writing it please, down please please write it down <laughs> i um i have really only watched survivor casually matt long time survivor stan um but i like have enough knowledge about it and like would love to chat with you about it so for me I am a longtime watcher of like game shows and I like game shows more than I like reality shows. Mm. So like, I'm not really a, like, I don't like real housewives or I don't really like, like the dating reality shows, like the bachelor, which are technically in a very fucked up way. Competition shows, right? They're like dating reality shows, but they're all competing to date the same person Mm -hmm. or each other even the more modern or more advanced ones are still like weirdly competition shows i don't know um so you know i was never a like 
Oh, no. Matt, what was the show on MTV? What was it called? Real Life? True oh, life? no, the real world. Real world. Great. True I mean, Life was their like documentary series. A different show. <laughs> it's also tech. I guess it's a show about reality. It's a documentary series. Okay. Amazing. Yes. True Life. I only eat blue French fries, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? Okay. <laughs> there was the one that had the, the girl from Stillwater in it. That's the one I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was like really toxic and like, uh, you Upsetting. know, like weight shaming. And- yeah. Yeah. A lot of that. So, okay. As far as, like, reality TV goes, and a lot of actually, interestingly, the, like, casual reading that I did in the lead up to this episode was about the, like, actual exchange of, like, British versus American culture companies and, like, digital television as a whole and how digital television shifted this, like, export and the idea of, like, where do shows come from, right? So some of the most beloved American TV shows of the last 20 years are reboots, uh, American reboots of British TV shows, right? The classic example being The Office. Many people have made the same comparison between like Euphoria and Skins, right? So Skins is a British television show that ran in the late 2000s that if you were a Tumblr girly in 2009, like me, You have definitely, at least at the very least, if you aren't obsessed with skins, you've seen GIFs from it. So that was our generation's euphoria. Definitely watched all of Skins UK that was out when I was, you know, in college. Yeah, right. And like, good, good point. There is actually a Skins US adaptation that is not euphoria, right? But there, it's very, very interesting, right? Sometimes these american adaptations of british shows fall really short and fall really flat right and like actually some of the like the reason that the office is so successful is because it didn't try to be exactly the show that the british version was right it was clearly inspired by but by season two it's taken on its own approach to this humorous format So that is like one of the things that I want to like hit on, right? Which is that when it comes to British television, there is just something that is a like deeply British quality to it that cannot be replicated. I won't go so far as to say I think it's unkind of me to to say I was super who locked or whatever in the Tumblr era. But like I absolutely watched Sherlock as it released. I absolutely have always watched British TV. I grew up watching a lot of PBS primarily, and a lot of PBS nights and weekends is British television runs. Um, So there's some part of this that feels entirely predictable, and then there's some part of this that, like, I don't think I ever anticipated that the thing that would be most likely to help me go to sleep at night is a competition show about British potters. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, you said you're completely unfamiliar with Great Pottery Throwdown. Correct. Have you watched any Great British Bake Off? I expected you to ask this question, and so I was thinking about it earlier today, and I I looked it up. I think I have seen the first episode of okay. the Great British Bake Off four times, maybe. Wow. Because, like, you tell people you've never seen it, and they just, like, put it on. Sure. Right? 
like it, as like a back grime noise while you're hanging out, right? Yeah. So I've seen that like damn cherry cake like <laughs> 17 fucking times. Sure. Right? Um, so tell I us how you say, really feel. <laughs> I just like, I've, I've just seen it so many times. The first time I was like, oh, that was a nice like chill TV show. Yeah. The You know, the next few times I was like, oh, I keep watching this episode. I didn't realize it was like the first episode until I looked it up today. I thought it was like maybe a classic episode, but sure. I've watched a lot of British TV, as you well know. Yeah. Right. Like I was a, I also watched that uh, Sherlock TV show. I also was a huge Doctor Who fan when it was like the thing to do. But like this like latest wave of British television, I haven't really engaged in. Yeah. So is there something specific about the Great British Bake Off that just like makes it not your cup of tea? Is there something more general like i want to acknowledge cup of tea um, <laughs> um i don't know that it's not my cup of tea it's just not the thing that i like go looking for sure um if i would say if like jonathan wanted to sit down and watch it as like a thing we watched together i would do that right yeah like we like burned through half of that uh Netflix drink master show the other day, oh, yeah. which is like pretty average in terms of, you know, reality competition show. But I, that's the kind of way that I would probably watch it. Yeah. Um, not an, I, I may get super into it after that, but like it's, that's the kind of level that it appeals to me at. Yeah. So I think that like great British bake off, I brought it up because it is my, how I got to, and actually how great pottery Throwdown came to exist in the world worth stopping and talking like at least very briefly about like how british television works because mm. it is pretty it of all of the things where there's like a lot of cultural exchange between the u.s and the uk how british tv works is like pretty different i mean there's still cable you can get all the cable channels you can get a bunch of american shows you can give a bunch of british shows but interestingly enough all British television providers, regardless of which one you have, make available the UK's five most watched channels. So BBC One, BBC Two, ITV One, Channel Four, and Channel Five are available for everyone. And these are like channels that are syndicated by the government. They're more equivalent to PBS than anything else, right? And it's not like, so it is sort of like, you know, most TV packages come with ABC, CBS, NBC, right? But the the way that those channels dominate much of British television that we know, basically every popular Brit show, every show that's popular, British show that's popular in America, if you were to look it up, it would come from one of these five channels. Right. Right. So Bake Off, for example, has been on three of those five channels at different <laughs> iterations in its life. So, you know, originally it was on BBC Two, and then it gets picked up by BBC One for some later seasons, and then it goes to Channel Four, and then it gets this Netflix deal, right? And so this is like, this is a common life cycle that different channels within those most watched channels pick up and swap each other's shows and like, as they gain in popularity or not. Um, and actually, so this is also a very funny thing, which is many people um, have lots of questions about why it's a great British speaking show in the US. 
versus the Great British Bake Off in the UK. Um, and there, I thought, was uh, it had something to do with like these co- different contracts that are, have been rumored to be out there about beef between Paul Hollywood, who is one of the hosts on the show, judges on Great British Baking Show. Um, it turns out, no, it's just Pillsbury, like the Pillsbury Doughboy has the phrase Bake Off trademarked in the U.S., <laughs> Incredible. Um, so it has to be the Great British Baking Show in the U.S. <laughs> so all of that to say, Great British Bake Off has changed a lot since its first season. And in its first season, it is so deeply British. I mean, like, okay, obviously everyone on the show is British. They all have different British accents. They all come from different regions of Britain. They all make fun of each other for the funny ways that they talk. It's like very cute and very sacred. And it has one of my very favorite like relics of like 2010 era reality competition shows like this where spliced in to the show for the in between the different challenges is like some sort of little travel segment basically where they're like oh we're here in this part of england where the treat that everyone is making today is from and we're here to tell you about the history of this thing and it's like very educational program right um and this is like a staple of how british television runs like so much so that in the like like that there were these like educational programs in the 60s 70s 80s that were like little interludes right um so much and it's so much so that in the intro to the very first episode of the great pottery throwdown they reference and they say this isn't one of those segments from the 1960s this is not a, <laughs> the 1960s this is a different show okay so all of that said the kind of like context for the show Many people have loved the Great British Bake Off for a long time. It's had a cult following, I'd say, like since like 2015 in the US. Like, sounds right. Um, and it really, of course, became a thing that people binged during COVID 19 lockdowns, right? When people were starting their own baking journeys, right? They were looking to watch shows about baking. Um, and the vibes of the show overall, right? This idea of this British people making very British jokes with like sort of twinkly, nice music in the background where like the the biggest consequence is that you make a bad cake, right? Really appeals to people, right? There's this scene in an early season where someone is crying over a cake that has just like totally slumped, totally fallen apart, not set, blah, blah, blah. And one of the comedians who's part of this like very British setup of these two comedians and these two very, you know, skilled technical judges um, who all host this show together normally, mm-hmm. the contestant is crying and crying and crying. One of the comedians says to her, it's okay, it's just a cake. And she's like, no, it's not just a cake, it's the end, you know, this everything. And she's like, hey, listen, it really is just a cake, right? <laughs> and like... It's this moment of, of like this kind of quiet, soothing thing. But then there are other aspects of it that I think are more disparate 
even than the like stakes of the show that make it unique and why I think people really seek it out and why people say that they like it, which is that the contestants on the Great British Baking Show and on the Great Pottery Throwdown are known for helping each other. They are known for not having this cutthroat, super American tradition of it's me or them and I'm picking me every time, right? When someone is finishing up quick, they've, they're already done and someone else is struggling to finish. It is not uncommon, uh, especially in later seasons of the show where they're clearly encouraging this kind of behavior because the audience is looking for it to see six bakers all standing around someone's station helping them finish their project at the end. And that like those moments are, I think, what drew a lot of people to the show. This is the neck, the, the, not the nexus, the origin point for, <laughs> can't remember what the fancy word is, the origin point for actually two additional British shows about crafting, one which I have not watched and I did not know existed until I started doing the research for this show, which is called The Great British Sewing Bee. Oh. It's all about like sewing and quilting and making, which I think is so cool. And I definitely will be looking to see if I can watch it somewhere. Um, I love crafting and I am like a maker in some way myself, right? And then the great pottery throwdown. So here we arrive at this like in 2015 is the first season of this BBC Two series, the great the great pottery throwdown. Easy, it's the very first episode of the show. Well, this is probably a good question for you. Are are the Great Pottery Throwdown and the Sewing Bee and Bake Off all the same production company, or are they different companies? Basically, like like from the success of Bake Off. Did I look that up? No. Is that a really good question? Yes. Uh, the the reason I ask is because Great Pottery Throwdown is on HBO Max. Um, Whereas Bake Off has a deal with Netflix. So Great Pottery Throwdown is on HBO Max. It started on 2015. So, so and I think that it, it's, what's important here is like the, it is actually still would still be possible for them to be from the same production company because of that British syndication piece. This is um, in 2020. Um, so Great Pottery Throwdown got canceled in 2018 on British television. And then in 2020, picked up by HBO Max for an exclusive return. Okay. And so season one is the season one that aired in the UK or it is the, the season, season one that aired in the one. UK. So I'm going to click on this first episode and we're watching what, like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, this isn't the bit between the programs. Well, definitely the like immediately mentioned those this is the great educational programs. Correct. Yes, that is, is, that is a large part of required watching this segment. Lives, and none of us can live without stuff made from clay. And these are Clay's masters. Ceramic artist Kate Malone and master potter Keith Brimer-Jones have championed Great British Pottery for decades. Pottery is almost as good as sex. It's so physical they and so They legit fantastic. asked them if pottery was better than sex. There. It's because they asked every uh, no. contestant on this Keith season, been at the wheel is for pottery better than sex? His so contemporary tableware sells all over the world. Keith is responsible with for Madonna the and Brangelina's well, clients. We'll get there in a minute. He's now one of our most successful potters ever. I find the simpler the design, the more impact it has. There's quite often times when I've looked at a certain shape 
and it will move me to tears. Kate's stunning work can be seen in museums and public spaces all over the world and in the homes of renowned art collectors and rock stars. I'm chasing that next glaze, that next colour. Chasing that, that next glaze is like a that phrase. Next interpretation of nature. I don't know. <laughs> no, they're both kind of chasing wild. a new dream to find the next champion of British pottery. <laughs> and it's going to take 1,600 kilograms. I love how much, like, hornier, like, non-American television is. Okay, this is in the notes. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to not bring that up. <laughs> like, for as much as we talk about sex cells and about how, like, you know, like, television has so much sex on it now, like, I just... They're just, he's like pulling a long, you know, like piece of clay. And she's like, you seem right at home there. Yes, like I have an entire section of my notes. <laughs> so like, yes, you've immediately picked up on one of the things that I'd love to talk about. And you know, we can just jump right in there. Okay. So here are two quotes that I pulled out. So, so for our listeners, if you haven't ever watched the first two and a half minutes of the Great Pottery Throwdown. Here's what happens in this order. One, they reference 1960s interlude, educational interludes on British TV. Two, they ask the two main judges of the show, is pottery better than sex? And they both say pretty much yes. <laughs> um, then they introduce the premise of the show, which is that there are, you know, 12 potters. They're all going to be competing for the best British potter in a place called Stoke-on-Trent, which is like famous for producing bottles and ceramics um, during Britain's like biggest era of industry. Um, and then they make some more sex jokes. They like have a little to give you a feel of what the show is going to be like. That is an accurate thing to do to give you a feel of what the show is going to be like. So here is um, let's see. I'm going to send you there's a lot of a lot of visual aids for this one. Here's an Instagram reel. My apologies for the Instagram reel. Oh, I, I can see it in your notes. I'm just yeah. going to click it and see if I can watch it. Because this needs to be a knob, I'm going to seal that top up. And you want quite a generous knob? Absolutely. You want quite a generous knob? Has the yeah. Knob off. who has their knob off. I'm actually having a big knob. Sorry. Gosh. Having, having a, a help... Uh, and then the last the last 20 seconds of this are a young man really struggling to, with a straight face, talk about his knob. And um, this is something that is a uniquely British euphemism mostly, right? Is perfect. So another great, like, out of context moment, you know, good shape on the knob, could have done with a little more finger action at the bottom. No one can keep a straight face. Right. Um, I love a curvy bottom. My husband does too. Right. Like, and, and this goes on and on and on. So what you saw in that intro clip is they're doing what's called pulling handles. So in pottery for the handle of a mug, there's a lot of different styles, but one of the traditional styles for a handle is pulled. So you pull this strip of clay down, you bite it and you make, you keep the pressure consistent and you make a nice handle and then you trim it off and you attach it to your mug right and it just is a process where you're essentially just like pulling rapidly mm -hmm. with clay and it is very funny right like anything about pottery inherently 
has this like sex element to it because of like the thing like the physical activity of throwing pottery what it looks like how you make shapes in pottery by spinning on the wheel right centering a puck of clay requires you to draw the clay up and down in a columnar motion right like that pretty much just looks like you're jerking the clay off every time right yeah i mean there was that there's that guy that like basically started his entire tiktok career by just like taking his shirt off and like throwing pottery correct that is another thing about this is this show has okay the British home potters, some of them are cute. Some of them are your average, you know, older people dedicated to their hobby or their craft, right? Your everyman thing, which I think is another element of this competition show that like Aurela that people really li- have liked, right? Is this idea that these are regular people <laughs> who are doing this, right? Yeah. When we used to watch Face Off in college, right? Oh, the, yeah. the cast of yeah. that is not always that way but it is more so than your bachelor or your survivor or your i don't know what's a more recent one you know like it you know whatever whatever netflix reality show sure yeah your your cocktail show right yeah right we just watched the mole like every everyone on the mole was extremely hot right Right. Right. (laughs) like yeah it's not celebrity apprentice right? right it's not or even the Apprentice before Celebrity Apprentice, right. right? There was a show with regular people on it, right. right? So the sex jokes are part of it. And like the sex jokes are part of something they don't shy away from in Great British Speaking Show either. Although it's a little bit more subtle, right? You're talking about pastry more often and pastry doesn't have these same kinds of like innuendos attached to it. But pottery most certainly does right and there's just no getting around it there's no making a show about pottery without that right like i think the most like the most american pottery reference is of is of course ghost ghost (laughs) right which is literally like the the scene in which the ghost and the woman are throwing pottery together is clearly supposed to be a euphemism for them having sex right So some of these potters are hot, some of them are not, right? But there are many guest star potters who come onto this show who are just extremely hunky men with beefy, beefy muscles from throwing around hundreds of kilos of clay who come into the studio and and they are inevitably Mm -hmm. always wearing a tank top, right? So you can see all of their muscles. And everyone is like, mm, oh, the lifting person, right? And it's very funny. There is also an iconic episode. Oh, my God, Matt. I wish we had more time for me to just, like, pull out a bajillion clips for you to watch. There's an iconic episode where, in the early seasons, that they don't recreate in the later seasons, and I can't possibly think of why, where they do, like, nude modeling. They, like, do nude sculpture modeling. And they are, some of them are very good. And some of them are hilarious. Like, like two of the men who have a woman model make the proportions of the breasts so large that the the statues literally like fall over. <laughs> and they have to reshape them because that's not the correct proportions. Right. Um, anyway, it's delightful. So here another like cute little moment. Um, where they're talking about what's like this burnished um, pottery, which is where you 
smooth pottery with a spoon while it is still in its drying process before it's been fully fired. And then when you fire it, it gives like a very shiny thing. So you're like taking all of the air and impurities and like all the extra stuff out of it. Uh, oh, it feels like something fudge. I've never stroked fudge. <laughs> you haven't lived, babe. <laughs> is what she says. Um, so perfect. It's delightful. It's so funny. And like just looking, I think one of the things that I like the most about it is that like it knows that it's going to have to do this. It is always just a little funny and a little cheeky about it. And it's never like embarrassed or shy about it, right? right. There's, there's nothing other than like, well, I've said it again and everybody's laughing, right? right? There's no embarrassment or shame. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of embarrassment because that kid in that clip is struggling to talk about his knobs. Right. Right. Beca but it's because he's going to be on TV, right. right? Like the other pieces of the pottery throwdown that make it so interesting to me are like, the piece of like the competition and what the competition means for the bit of this show. So like we said earlier, I don't watch a ton of American reality shows. So I don't know, is there, and I'm going to ask this for you of you as like someone who I know watches survivor. Is there like a bit that Jeff Probst has that he does on survivor? That's like the Jeff Probst bit. People who are more, into Survivor, because I like catch a season if it's like being talked about, right? And I, I definitely went into the early stuff. May have different thoughts here. If anything, he, I don't know that there's like a bit, there's not like a single thing that he does, but there is, he will call people on stuff a lot, right? Like sure. he's very a confrontational interviewer and that's kind of yes. what he's known for. So like an example that's been going around the internet again lately is when- We love it. Right. We love the Zeke moment. Uh, yeah, is exactly. <laughs> when that guy on a season like outed his like, you know, other cast member friend as trans, like Jeff calls him out on his bullshit in the yeah. middle of the show. And I think like that has become something Jeff is known for is like being confrontational to to people on the show that like not always necessarily are the ones like that who would deserve it. Sure. But like as an interviewer, as a host of a television show, that's what I think of. I mean, I also you I think you know this about me. I memorize the thing he says before he reads the votes when I was like. 14 sure. once the votes are read the decision is final the person voted out will be asked to leave the tribal council area immediately i'll read the votes sure like he has those kinds of things <laughs> yeah i think that that's like what i'm thinking of is that's not like the bit that's the script of the show yeah exactly right? like like it's not it's not blocky or it's not like this like off the cuff thing that happened in the first episodes or something like that where they're like do that again yeah and do that every episode well i say he does have like kind of catchphrases yeah. Right. So there's like whenever they come to like a like a competition or something like he used to say like, hey, you guys. And there was this whole bit about how he was like, should I keep saying that? Right. Like, do you want me to say <laughs> something else? Like that was a thing on a recent season. And they were That's all like, funny. it's fine. You can say you guys. Right. Like, um, but so I don't know. He like you said, it's it's the script of the show um, and okay. he has personality traits. But I, I think I'm with you on that. Like, I don't know that there's like a thing that at least on that show that he sure. does. Sure. So, and, and this, again, I ask you this because it may be true that this exists on other reality shows for other like competition shows where hosts have like their thing. And I don't think that it's untrue that like we, I know that like 
hosts on The X Factor or hosts on American Idol. Like they have things that they really like and that they really look for. So you can you can watch these shows and see patterns of like, oh, this judge is going to really like this performer because they're doing this thing that this judge really yeah, like. I right? know exactly what Katy Perry is going to how she's going to react to every singer on American right. Idol. Right. But it's not like it's not a bit mm -hmm. right. It's not a thing that she does every time she sees that person. Right. Right. We know she's going to react positively, but she doesn't have like a thing that she says or does. Right. On both Great British Bake Off and on Great Pottery Throwdown. Each of the male judges, and like to a lesser extent um, on Great British Baking Show, Prulise and Mary Berry have a bit. So in Great British Bake Off, it's the Hollywood handshake, right? So Paul Hollywood, who's the male judge on Great British Bake Off, if you get the Hollywood handshake, it means that he thinks that your bake was so good that he wants to shake your hand, right? And it is like, a thing that the that the contestants value more than like winning getting star baker right? right they're like oh i didn't get star baker but i got the handshake and and so prulee or mary berry who are you know the the counterpart ho uh, judges in various seasons they're a bit as like they're old british ladies they like to drink and it's mm -hmm. like oh you you put a tipple in for for prue oh she's a lush right mm -hmm. like oh she loves that you made a thing with like a liqueur in it on the great pottery throwdown the bit is that keith brimer jones who is the male judge that you are introduced mm -hmm. to in those first two and a half minutes at least once and oftentimes more than once per episode keith brimer jones cries about pottery how do you have that much emotion to give like not just about pottery but generally like per episode <laughs> this man is regularly moved to tears by the shape of a pot an undecorated pot he get i'm like that's a piece of clay mm -hmm. i don't understand <laughs> i'm not looking at a thing i think like it's so interesting because I certainly myself have been moved to tears by art, right? I certainly myself have been so excited to eat something that was so tasty that I was like overcome with excitement and emotion. So like I get the handshake and I do in principle get the idea of crying about like art or fine craftsmanship or like being moved to emotion. But there is something that is so unique and specific, which is that Keith, you should know, just Google Keith Reimer Jones and look at what this man looks like. He is a six foot something, average looking, very macho, pretty masculine looking British dude with weird bad hair, a big bald spot. Keith Reimer Jones, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just true. I really like you. Okay? <laughs> this is. I'm just trying to illustrate this. And it's like, it is so much so the bit that you can, there, I linked in our notes for our show notes for this, a video about him, of him doing an interview about crying on the Great Pottery Throwdown. Oh my God. <laughs> and he is crying in the video. He cries when he talks about crying about pottery. And like, okay. <laughs> if you go, 
Matt, for this episode, I should I should have told you sooner. I got back on Tumblr. Right. So I could do research <laughs> for this episode. But if you search Great Pottery Throwdown on Tumblr, the in the first 10 or 20 posts that you would see, love that I'm three episodes deep in Great Pottery Throwdown. The male judge has cried three times. Like, yes, bitch, let art give you an emotion. Be proud of people <laughs> trying their hardest. Love him. Another one that, that's like, aside from, aside from Keith and his waterworks and the fact that the judges actually do the work, the other thing that makes pottery throwdown vastly better is that there's only one host. There's no banter and it's pottery, right? Like, yeah, I'm also looking at one right now that says Keith te- Keith's tears, and it's like greater than, greater than, greater than Hollywood handshake. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? Or this one that I linked that uh, in our notes that says every time Keith cries on Great Pottery Throwdown, it's a beak tap inside of my shell. This is a boy who genuinely loves pottery. The sheer joy of someone who is unashamed to be moved by things. I think he's cried in every single episode. And then, <laughs> you know, just one more sex joke for uh, a fun time. Uh, <laughs> this Tumblr post in the title quote, I'm looking for a good, strong rim. <laughs> Aren't we all? So anyway, real men cry at pottery. Um, it just is so funny. So I did link here for you a TikTok, an a you know, uh, that is a supercut of um every time this man cries. And it's worth the 60 seconds just to watch. <laughs> or 37 seconds. It's, this is great. This reaction you've got here is absolutely brilliant. Pottery, it's a wonder, And it's using it? the you know? the home <laughs> audio. The thing about you, Jody, is that he is just—you always give us your best, and we can see that. He like can't hold it together to finish. He frequently cannot hold it together. He starts to talk, and then he stops because he is crying. And I think like one of the things that is cool about it, right, is like that. Oftentimes, he is crying because he is either moved by the art, but sometimes it's just like he's really proud of the contestant, right? They've seen them working hard. They've seen them doing these builds. They're in the workroom. And like, there is something to the note from that Tumblr post of like, he is a potter, right? Like he is someone who has a strong amount of technical skill. And unlike Great British Baking Show work, like, you know that Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith and Mary Berry have this technical skill you don't ever see them bake on the show. They do no technical demonstrations. A big part of Pottery Throwdown is they have their main challenge and then they have a throwdown. So, well, it's not always a throwdown, but they have their like second competition piece. And the second competition piece is the technical challenge. And sometimes it's a throwdown, sometimes it's a slab build, but it always starts with one of the judges or a guest potter coming in and demonstrating the technical skill. It's really cool because you can see these people are not judging based on technical skill without being involved in the potter's process, right? They're coming around and they're talking to them at the tables, but words of encouragement or words of like, I'm not sure that I would do that. Or like when something cracks or falls apart, a little bit le- more so than like Great British Baking Show, they talk to the contestants about like why those things occurred, right? Like you didn't dry it for long enough. You didn't trim it right. There wasn't a hole for the air to escape, right? There is some like obviously pottery is 
an art and a skill and there is precision that is required but there is also like just some luck at some point in pottery because of how how like the kiln firing process right. works right and like pottery as a whole is something that i've always been interested in i know that i grew up in a very non-traditional way so for listeners who are just getting to know me you should know that my father is a professional classical musician not like a normal parent profession um it was my normal my dad is an artist in his own a musician and an artist in his own way and he's always been very interested in art and has always been part of like folk art and arts camps kinds of scenes so i grew up with like friends whose parents were potters and that i have learned in my adult life is also not normal that i like had a friend's house who i would go to and be like oh yeah his dad makes pottery and like to this day that man is still a potter and you can go on the internet and you can buy his pottery you mm -hmm. know the pottery that I have in my home, some of it was made by my father, some of it was made by my parents' friends, right? Like, and is very valuable. But pottery is also like the world, one of the world's oldest like mm -hmm. artisan crafts, right? It, it is like one of the most fundamental things. They talk about it in the intro of the show, right? It is you eat off of pottery. If you eat off of a ceramic plate, you eat off of a piece of like an object in the world that has a history that is as old as the history of mankind which is <laughs> i mean it just i mean if you think about it too much it gives your brain a little headache right mm -hmm. but there's something so interesting about it too right in the modern era where we are more disconnected from artisan crafts pottery has become one of the most inaccessible crafts for the average person yeah it is not something that you can go to Michael's and buy the clay that you need. I don't think I even knew that. Like, as, as a person <laughs> who has no, you know, yeah. like has no hand in this world whatsoever, I kind of just assumed that, it, like, the pieces would be available at, like, an art store. Sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so there's, there's different styles of pottery, for sure, right? So there are two main styles, right? One is slab building and one is wheel throwing. Slab building is like maybe what you were taught to do as a kid where you made like coil pot. That's technically coil building, not slab building. Slab building is you roll out slabs and then you cut out the shapes and you join them together. But coil building is the same idea, right? And coil building, the oldest form of pottery to build pots and jars and plates and things and cups. The actual pieces of like, if you want to throw on a wheel, you cannot buy a pottery wheel at a craft store. You do, ha you have to go to a specialized shop and like to learn how to throw. Um, I, so as part of my research for this episode, I looked for myself. I have a friend who has like um, an all access membership or whatever at a place here in DC um, called District Play Center. It's currently full for you to get like the 24 seven access, like artist booth kind of thing, community artist booth. But it's $170 a month. Plus the cost of clay. And you have to, if you're signing up for the community artist booth, which is the unlimited access part, you have to commit to a minimum of three months. So like you have to have a lot of capital. And you also, at that point, have to have like a pretty high level of skill. Like lots of people, I feel like now that COVID restrictions have relaxed a little bit and many of us got 
more in touch with our desire to be engaged in some sort of like craft or hobby during the pandemic, I feel like a lot of my friends are getting into pottery. Maybe it's just the age that I am or like the demographic of NPR listener, New York Times hate reader, you know, pals that I have, yeah. right? We're getting into making glitch art. We're getting into pottery. We're getting into fiber crafts. We're getting into, I don't know, decolonizing our bookshelves. What right. the fuck ever, right? <laughs> I, I do think it is a little bit like the people you keep, right? Yeah, okay, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I, I was just talking to my tattoo artist about this episode, <laughs> and she actually went to school for sculpture. Mm. And so when I was talking to her about this episode, she was like, oh, well, you'll have to talk about how expensive it is, right? Like, if you talk about pottery, you can't leave out the part about how expensive it is mm. now to be part of that. So I linked here in the notes also a note from Tumblr that I came across when I was looking at this. And do we want to try? Would you like to read this for our listeners? Yeah, it says it's by the user email with two hyphens. And it Too says, hyphen. been watching the great pottery throwdown with my partner and sister, and it just really makes me miss pottery and ceramics so much. There's something ironic, I suppose, that one of mankind's oldest surviving arts is now something you have to take expensive classes or rent a studio space to be able to, uh, to be able to do. And <laughs> the tags say, about to go back to basics and make mud bricks in my backyard and fire it in the wood fire. Yeah. So, like, there is a way to, like, reclaim this, right? right. Like, if you go on TikTok, you can watch videos of people, like, making wild clay. Right. Like if you go on the Internet, you can watch these videos of how people are trying to redemocratize the process of access to crafting clay. And I don't think that that's unique to pottery in any way. Right. But there is something that is specific about the amount of technical skill and technical equipment that it requires. There is also something to be said for that, you know, my friend bought a pottery wheel and a kiln. And once you do that, right, then your primary cost is clay. It is something where when you set yourself up with the pieces of equipment and you care for those large pieces of equipment, you're good to go. But to do that setup is a huge investment up front. Yeah, this is, this is I think, a problem with um, art and like at home making more generally. Um, and I say at home making like DIY because it's like, I think it's broader than even just like art supplies. Yeah. Um, like one of the things I got really into during like COVID lockdowns was uh, like revitalizing old Game Boys, right? Oh yeah. And like, that's a less expensive thing than some like art supplies. Um, but I still had to buy $200 of setup, right? To get sure. started. And I then like that, I think the supplies there, right? My supplies are old Game Boys, right? Yeah. And in the pandemic, when people are getting the hobbies, like the prices of those skyrocketed. They went from, yeah. you could find a Game Boy Advance for 20 bucks in December of 2019, and they regularly go for $60 now, right? Interesting. And that's because this hobby kind of picked up. But yeah. the costs are displaced in a different way, but I think it's because the way that we make things in our culture now right is factories is um you know just industrialization you know at, at its you know end point right <laughs> yeah and we've not it because that is what the world is built for it's more expensive to do it the old way or yeah in the case of the game boys the sort of diy way sure yeah 
And I think that that's that's true, right? Like it's certainly something you and I have talked about before, right? Like it's very easy to make the logical connection or the, um, you know, theoretical connection between the ways that we are cool with disposability culture from the with like the literal objects in our lives to how we think about disposability culture in the world at large like when it comes to thinking of people as replaceable or disposable right and relationships as replaceable because to us objects are replaceable right you know something that's also interesting about the life cycle of clay um is for most types of pottery there are two you you go through two firing processes and the kill and the first makes pottery what's called greenware meaning that it's been fired once but it hasn't been glazed so glaze is like just straight up like melted glass mm. i don't know it's very tight like very cool glaze is like pigment and different things like that mixed with water and tiny 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 pieces of glass that when heated in the kiln create this glass or ceramic coating on your pieces and before that process you know is the greenware process where you are trimming you're making the shape of your thing you're cut taking these cuttings but in every step of the process right up to when you do that final glaze fire you dip something in glaze pottery is technically speaking an it, clay is infinitely recyclable right so at all of its stages you can just take those trimmings dump them in water soak them and then dry them out again and use up all of those little bits of clay you can use up all of those little bits you can scrape and scrape and scrape and clean and clean and clean and it's one of the reasons why you know you see people keep those right they go into right. a scraps bucket and so it's like this piece of I don't know. In the show, they when they do these technicals, sometimes the technicals are like throw as many candlesticks as you can in 10 minutes and then they go around and they judge them. And he literally goes around and he has a bucket. And the ones that he considers to be not good enough, he picks up and he throws them into the bucket and just splats <laughs> them into the bucket. Brushes them in his hand splat no it's terrible right and everybody has a laugh when it's happening mm -hmm. right it's not really a like it's not meant to be humiliating you it's not meant to be embarrassing you it's right. like this is the life cycle of clay right mm -hmm. the life cycle of clay is this thing is not good enough and therefore it can simply go in the bin and start the process all over again and that is so interesting right, right. in this uh, in this place where you and I, I break this mug, right? I break this mug, it goes in the trash, right? Right. In all of the iterations before, it is this mug that is in my hand. It would be possible, if it breaks before it is glaze-fired, it would be possible to make it something new again, right. right? And I think that that's just like a fun and interesting idea, right? There's something that about the life cycle of pottery that I think speaks to why people like this show right if the low stakes of the of the great british bake-off come from the fact that at the end of the day it's just cake the low stakes often of great pottery throwdown come from a sense of camaraderie in the workroom and this understanding that like at least early on in the process if something goes wrong 
you can always just bin it and it's not wasteful and it's not destructive. You just put it in the bin and you try again. Mm -hmm. And like that is something that is so like unique. Question for you. Is it possible to salvage broken pottery after it has been finished? So it depends on like what is what is the purpose of the thing, right? If you want to drink out of a broken cup, for example, it, that becomes more questionable because like the glue that you have to use to put it back together mm. usually isn't food safe, right? Um, or watertight. But like you could glue it back together and keep it on your shelf, right? Right. In terms of the pottery process, not really, mm. right? That is the part at which it becomes less possible. There's a commitment there. Yeah, there's a commitment there. And that's why the kiln is risky, right? Mm. Like they talk a lot in the show about the kiln gods, mm. right? Like the kiln gods, you have to pray to the kiln gods and hope they're going to be nice to you. But like in in the pre-glazing stage, if something comes out cracked, it's possible to try to repair that crack. It's possible to bin it at that, like if you were at home in your home studio, break it down, start over again, right? Because at that point, it is just very dried out clay. And so much of like the pottery making process is controlling the amount of water that is in the clay at any given moment. It's fascinating. And there's there's a ton of stuff that I don't understand because I myself have never like thrown pottery. I've only ever glazed stuff sure. or watched other people throw. But I find it infinitely fascinating. And like, so this this show scratches an itch in my brain because I'm interested in British TV. I'm interested in crafting. I'm interested in things that are rooted in history and also being made new. And then there's one piece of this show that I haven't really dived into yet that it's worth mentioning at the close, which is there is something brilliant and special about this show in particular that the Great British Bake Off somewhat does, but this show kind of takes one additional step towards, which is, so spoilers, I'm so sorry (laughs) for you, for season five, you are watching Great Pottery Throwdown season five, and you don't want it spoiled for you, I'm gonna tell you who wins in just like two seconds, so turn (laughs) it off now, okay? The In Great Pottery Throwdown, there are multiple contestants who are queer, and queer in lots of different ways. In the early seasons, Rich, who um, is like the kiln guy in the first few seasons, he eventually becomes a judge. And the replacement person who does the kiln is a trans woman named Rose. And you can follow her on Twitter. And she is delightful and hilarious. And she's the kiln witch is what she calls herself, <laughs> right? And like the thing is that the show never talks about it. They're right. just like, this is Rose. And everybody is nice to Rose. And everybody is cool with Rose and doesn't do anything or say anything mean to her. There's no explaining Rose, her presence or her person or anything like that, right? And certainly we don't know what's happening behind the scenes, right? We don't know what kind of conversations Rose is having right. with these folks um, on these give, in any given moment. But in season five, the winner is a non-binary person named oh, AJ. Awesome. And they're not the only non-binary person that's been on the show. But again, they are someone who there's never an explanation every contestant when they're talking about aj if there were instances where other contestants were talking about aj where they misgendered aj they cut those out they made them reshoot them whatever it was that they did right there is never a moment on the show 
where AJ is misgendered. AJ is there because they're good at pottery and they make really cute stuff <laughs> and everybody really likes them because they're like, you know, kind and and very, very sweet. They're just like a very mm-hmm. sweet and kind of gentle, quiet person, right? Like there is this sense of like it truly is a space that they are trying to make open to everyone. Even the hosts of the show um, later, Siobhan, she herself is like a larger bodied, um, at least temporarily in season five, she's had some sort of surgery or some sort of procedure, temporarily disabled, right? So she uses crutches, she uses a chair, um, like, and they clearly, she's still involved in the judging process. They just clearly have a chair set out for her to sit in when they're doing the judging, right? So, like, there, it, there are these moments of disability and difference or gender identity and difference or race identity and difference where some of the potters have made pottery that, like, really, in season five, one of the potters, she's a, an older black woman and, like, she makes a tea set that has, like, fairies on it. And the fairies are black and they remark on that. And she's like, it was just really important to me because it's not something that I ever saw. And like, it moves everyone at the judge's table to tears for her to talk about <laughs> this identity, right? Like, which is like somewhat the bit, but also right. like she's talking about something that's real and emotional for her. And she's getting a real and emotional response from the other adults in the room. I'm sure Keith loved it. He did. He actually <laughs> absolutely adored it. I mean, it's worth noting that Rich himself is also like a black man oh, okay. and talks about it from like from that perspective. I don't know. I think there's something that in in the in this world where so many of us have to like work to justify our identities or like why we deserve to take up space in the world where other people just get to do that to watch something where it's never a point of contention. It's never part of the narrative. It is only part of the narrative when the people when when the people whose identities it is want it to be. Right, when they choose it. When they choose to say, I want to make this piece to talk about my experiences with race. I want to make this piece to talk about my experiences with gender, with motherhood, with miscarriage, with whatever it is that someone is choosing to imbue like the meaning into their art. Right. They get to be the person who holds that story and the person who chooses when it's part of the narrative of the TV show. And I just think that that's special and nice. It is still true that whether they're choosing to let folks have their moment to decide when they want to talk about their identity or producers are forcing people into setups and scenarios to make good TV, Mm -hmm. right, as it were, not that I think that that's good TV mm-hmm. to me, right? But to manufacture drama because that is what people want to see on TV, right? It is still a production choice. It is still a narrative choice. It was a choice that someone in a producer's room made mm-hmm. to say, this is not something that we are going to make a thing out of. This is just how it is going to be, mm-hmm. right? And like in the case of the Great Pottery Throwdown, it is, of course, powerful and healing to me that there is a trans woman who is on British television who just gets to be herself. And if you follow Rose on Twitter, you will often see her ranting about British transphobes because transphobia in Britain is so 
rampant and so top of the cultural moment there right now right and so like and like it's worth noting that like maybe that's why people like jeff Probst so much is because like yes survivor has producers who tell people to do things or whatever but at some point jeff Probst is going to get on camera and ask somebody a question that is so out of pocket (laughs) that the producers are just like well we've just let him do it again you know Or someone will behave in a way that's out of pocket and Jeff Probst will be like, hey, what's up? That's not a cool (laughs) way to behave, right? A very interesting way to close this episode, right, is reminding each other, the world, whoever's listening, that all of these things, right, the making of this kind of television that is background noise for many people, that is soothing, that is something that you watch when you need a respite from the world right whether your respite is people on love island you know having the dramatics or it's people making tarts or pots right like that all of that is manufactured for our enjoyment and isn't without the broader context right and that is what i think is always stuck in my mind when I think about that. That's what I, oh, here we go. Ready? We can do it. We <laughs> can do it. And closing. And that's what I can't let go of. Uh, hey! <laughs> British television, particularly Perfect. British reality Yeah, I think you just invented something for the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's our little, like, yeah. little can closer. At the end, when you're ready to wrap up, you say, and what I can't let go of is my thesis yeah. statement. Awesome. Also, I can't believe it took me until this very moment to say the words The Circle, which is a Netflix reality TV show that is based on British television. Well, okay. if we're going to talk about The Circle, we could talk about The Circle. We could talk about just like dating reality television, which is not something that I like watch a ton of. But I have plenty of thoughts about because number one, do does anybody else watch those shows and just notice how drunk everyone is all the time (laughs) because that's the only thing that i can ever think when i'm watching those shows is like how much alcohol do the producers ply these people with yeah (laughs) anyway i can we can't talk about reality show all the time (laughs) uh we can try though we can talk about whatever we want to this is our podcast matt that is it's true it's whatever we can't let go it's whatever's stuck (laughs) in our heads Well, is Twitter still the place to find you on the internet? But today, you can indeed find me on Twitter.com. Somehow, it's still where I am. Even though it, like, randomly stopped working the other day. (laughs) You know what? Every day, we come closer to the internet freeing me. (laughs) Um, And, like, maybe putting me out of a job, which wouldn't be ideal, um... Because I really do like being a social media manager and I have no other skills. (laughs) I think that's false, but. Okay, I know that that's not true, but it was a funny joke. You have to admit. (laughs) I also think you could transfer those skills to other platforms. Sure. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I could be a product manager. It'd be fine. (laughs) Um, So you can find AC at AC Fachi on Twitter until Twitter no longer exists. That's where you can find me on Twitter. And you can find all my stuff at matthorton.live. I will say I would prefer that you go to that link and go to my YouTube and watch and comment and like and all those things. Yeah, follow that on YouTube. Great YouTube channel. Yeah, subscribe and whatnot. <laughs> Click the doobly-doos. All of those things. 
God damn it, John Green. <laughs> uh, I saw uh, Abigail Thorne referred to the doobly doo on a philosophy tube video, and I was like, oh, it's just the thing. <laughs> oh my God. Poisoned. Yeah. My brain is poisoned. John Green, you get this. Today. <laughs> um, and as of today, we finally have links for the show. You can find the show at can'tletitgo.gay. Hell yeah. Wow. Personally, can'tletitgo.gay. Story of my life. Uh, AC liked to point out that the the URL has the words letit in it. Letit. Which we decided was okay. Letit.gay. <laughs> Actually, no. Can'tletitgo.gay. Let I'm sure letit.gay is also a great website. <laughs> I'm, I'll find out later. I can't encourage you to go there in good faith. You should go can't let it go dot gay because that will tell you where you can get the show if you, Great you know, if you want to send it to friends. I, it doesn't exist yeah. yet, but I do own sure. the URL. Sure. One day <laughs> when we're when you're listening to this, yes. hopefully it, exists. it will exist by the time this is on the Internet. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about next time. Amazing. We have a lot of ideas that we've written down today. Incredible. Um, I should pick soon so that I can take my two weeks to figure it out. Sure. But, um, but yeah, uh, we're going to do this again in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll talk to you all then. Super.